Welcome to the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, hosted by veterinarians Dr. Lewis Kirkham and Dr. Robbie Anderton, who'll give you the inside scoop on the secret lives of your pets and have a lighthearted look at the latest animal news, health tips, and other random facts. All names of people and pets have been changed for confidentiality, so if the story sounds familiar, don't flatter yourself. Every owner is just as animal crazy as you are. So sit down, place your furry feathered or scaly best friend on your lap, and it's over to Lewis and Robbie. Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome to episode 33 of the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, where too much talking of pets is barely enough. I'm Dr. Robbie Anderton, and I'm joined once again by the man who got into behaviour because he mistakenly thought a Freudian slip was a rakish piece of nightwear. It's Dr. Lewis Kirkham. Lewis, how are you? Oh, good, mate. Good, short and sweet. Short, sweet. To the point. <laughs> to the point. But, you know, I just thought I'd... Uh, a, a, a Freudian slip, you know, have you ever... Come across any, uh, you know, any of those in, you know, where you've been sort of bras and things, bras, mean, yeah, flip, flip, flip through the, Secrets, is that yeah, the catalogs and stuff. Yeah, you know? oh yeah, yeah, the catalogs. <laughs> <laughs> only reading it for the articles. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, getting the prices. Yeah, that, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, Just looking match. for something nice for Deb. That's yeah, all. Of course. Yeah, naturally. That's all. That's as, all. as we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now it's not, not you know, different to short, mate. Marathon done. Congra- Marathon's done. Thank Congratulations, you. Congratulations, mate. Massive effort. Really. Yes, Thank really you. huge effort. We've we've had a, a few weeks with the podcast where it's been a bit disjointed. So last week we sort of talked about you doing the marathon and then yep. we had the interview of Deb actually interviewing you at the yes. marathon. So yeah. this is the one, mate. Bring it all together. Congratulations. Huge effort. Thank you. Uh, what, 40, 42.4 uh, 42.2. 42.2. Insane effort, mate. Really, really good stuff. And um, we all saw you a little bit on the way. We saw you at the, uh, the good times, but we also saw you at the bad times. <laughs> bad times. <laughs> and, and, and unfortunately, there wasn't uh, all that much gap between either. Right. It, was a, it was a very, very large brick wall that seemed to hit me halfway along uh, Beach Road, unfortunately, from, yeah. when, from when Deb saw me at 18Ks and uh, everything was going great. And uh, then by the time uh, you saw me at 32Ks, there was, uh, yeah, all, all done and, and yeah. just, just in a world of hurt. But, I mean, it was carnage at that point, though. Like, there were people, people passing out, People, you know, j- you know, just cramping up left, right, and centre. It was, uh, it was, it was a really, really hot day. But um, I didn't quite get to run it the way I wanted to. But got it done, so that's good. But I've got unfinished business, Lewis. Really, wanted... mate? It's, yeah. Is a rematch? In, it was rematch. a rematch. Is it Connor, Connor K- Khabib or whatever it is? Uh, you know, the uh, UFC, mate, rematch. I, I'm, I'm a bit more of a, a, a classicist. I, I look at more at Rocky, you know, where... Oh, uh, Mayweather. You know, the, Floyd, Floyd Mayweather rematch, well, maybe. Well, now, the end of Rocky 1, you know, when um, when he's sitting there, when he actually loses to um, to Apollo Creed. You right. know, like, so he's so you've gone through, you've gone through this big, huge, all the training montages and the... Dun, 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 <laughs> all that sort of stuff, right? But in the end, he loses and he's there. He's going, Andrew! Is that one? That's Rocky 1. That's Rocky 1, yeah. I must be thinking of Rocky 9. I think uh, Rocky Nine. I think it's up to Rocky Eighteen now, is or something it? like that. You know, <laughs> well now they've got the Apollo Creed ones coming out, which is actually they're actually the the first Apollo Creed movie is actually pretty sweet. It's a pretty right. good one. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. So I'm I'm going from a Rocky Two moment it's next year. Rocky Road doing it again, mate. <sighs> Jeez, uh, yeah. At at the moment, anyway. You know, I think I'm I'm. I've just got enough of the endorphins flowing around still from it of thinking I'll have another crack at it. But we'll see how I go when I'm waking up at five o'clock in the morning again yeah. next eight, next August, you know, in the team and rain going, what, what the <laughs> hell am I doing this for again? So Yeah. And when we're doing podcasts doing five on a weekend, just trying to fit in your train. Just trying to get it all through yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <it's laughs> but, been, anyway, um, but a big thanks to you and to Deb and, uh, and April as well for coming down. I really appreciate it. And I mean, to anyone that... Uh, that knew of anyone that was doing the races and things like that. There's so many people lining the streets and everyone's been really supportive of every all the runners. Like I had, um, I bought five bags of snakes for the kids to go down and hand out to people at the um, where they were watching Good too. And it's stuff. just just Good anything idea. like that is just is just great because gee whiz, yeah, people are hurting when they're doing the run. So. Yeah, well, I was trying to hand out a little uh, a sponge for you, mate, to sponge down sponge bath, you know. But no, you weren't, weren't accepting of that. It's a bit, a bit you were, just weren't quite in the mood. I think. Oh, and, and it was tough time, and, and it was terrible because in the, in my head I thought, "Oh, this would be great." You know, I've got <laughs> I've got all this stuff running through in my head of what I'm going to do, right. what I'm going to say, and then by the time I saw you, it was it was just one foot in front of the yeah. other. I got ten k's to go. You know, this is not the you know Nick. Yeah, and it was lucky you saw us because we did not see you at all. Like you had literally passed us, and then you go, "Lewis," I went. Oh, hello, there he is. And I thought, I might just run with him for a bit. And then I sort of said hello to you and a couple of words. And I think I said something like, have you had a drink? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
What else was I going to say? Jeepers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, you, you idiot. Of course yeah. I had a drink. And, and then I thought, yeah, well, I've, I've run 100 metres. I'm, I'm puffed. That, that'll do me. I'll You're tap all out done. now. Yeah. <laughs> Off you go. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah. mate. So, look, uh, um, yeah, episode 33. Big thank you to our sponsors. Uh, Zilkeen still on board. Now, a little bit of a, just a housekeeping, mate. Yes. Uh, who? What's the name of the company that produces uh, that'd, Zilkeen? That'd be Vet Quinol, wouldn't it? What's that, mate? Vet, vet Quinol. There's a, there's a QU in there. Vetakinol. Vetakinol. We need to get that right, mate. We've got, oh. We've got a good good few episodes to go, so better, better just lock that down now. Vetakinol. Vetakinol. It uh, must be Francais or French, Italian. Yeah. I, I think it is. I think they One are, of those. I think Europe. it's a French company. Isn't Romanian, Latvian. Madagascan. <laughs> 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 Madagascan. <laughs> Could be any of those. So, so big shout out to, uh, to, to Zilkin, the supporters. And also on board, we've got uh, veterinary dermatology clinics. Uh, who are taking, uh, if you've got any skin problems with your dogs or your cats, or your, or your rabbits, I think they see rabbits, your Lego morph. Fantastic. Uh, seeing uh, Dr. Danny Hulhan, who we'll have a chat to later in this episode. Yes. Uh, see skin referrals in Sydney, Canberra and Tassie. And you can find them on Facebook under Veterinary Dermatology Clinic. So big thanks to those guys for jumping on board as well. Yes, thank you very much, all you guys. It's all awesome. Um, what have you got uh, in your uh, news bag this oh, week, mate? Mate, hear ye, hear ye. Oh, look out. Yes. now the, Town the, crier action. The Royals have been in town, mate. Yes, they, yeah, they've been, um, been thundering around. Did you manage to see them uh, going through Port Melbourne? Oh, Were you I down there with your... the girls uh, did. Oh, really? Both the girls and Deb went and saw them. Actually, good photo. Really? Saw wow. them. Yep, yep. They were all wearing the, the TVTP T-shirts, mate. Yep. Fantastic. All donned up. Yeah, didn't get that close. They didn't got hoarded away security and <laughs> had to change out of those. So, <laughs> And I didn't get, didn't get a chance. I was trying to convince them to, uh, to take a book down. Yeah, you for know, sure. Because she's pregnant now. Oh, is she really? Yeah. Aren't you up to date, mate? Oh, what? not oh. on not on that, no. Robbie, you're Gee whiz. always a royalist. Who's that, Deb? No. <laughs> Congratulations! Hey, <laughs> I didn't know this. What? She was looking was, radiant when was, I came in before. Was that an on-air announcement? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, um, no, Megan, 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 Megan. Megan yeah. she, she's pregnant. Right. So it's time to send a book, mate. Oh well, we yeah. need to draft a little. What we're going to say, you know, what what we want in reply. What sort of, you know, what sort of GSM we want the paper to come back as. Well, it'll be uh, interesting to see just how close it is to the other two uh, replies that you've had. It's just a shame they couldn't manage to try and hand them over one uh, assigned copy. Now, you know, that'd be all right. Well, there were some kids from actually uh, April and Stella, yeah, April and Stella's school that got to actually shake hands and meet up with them and really? gave them bouquet and some uh, and and some, some books and things. And, wow! And actually, big shout out to them. There's one one guy in our uh, in April's year that's not so well. Right, okay. And he's in a wheelchair and they made a big effort to stop and, you know, have a really long chat to him and, and make him feel, you know, really good about it. So it was lovely. Nice it was one. really lovely to see. So Good stuff. But a little bit of, now, you know, now they're pregnant and they've been here. Yes. I've got a bit of an article here from right. the, uh, I think it's from The Age. Yeah. Prince Harry and Meghan mark 60 years of royals cuddling koalas. Oh, crikey. Yeah. <laughs> here we go. Yeah, have time for a photo of all the koalas roll their eyes. Whenever uh, come a, on, mate. We love a koala. Yeah, well, you, well, yeah. You've, got a, you've done a page down them. Yeah, absolutely. On yeah. the uh, the bile uh, bile content on the French yeah, island farming. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an association that goes back a long way. The Queen Mother wearing pearls 60 years ago, back in 1958, looked enchanted as she cradled a young koala in Queensland, having removed her above-the-elbow formal glove. Wow. That so was just after koalas were invented, too. <laughs> Fantastic! Hot yeah, off the press. Possible, possible. Yeah. Not too cars here. It's a koala. Oh, okay, right. But yeah. Above the elbow glove. I've worn a few above the elbow gloves. Is she? She just done a bit of preg testing, yeah. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> might might have been a little more on the uh, that the satin rather than the oh. uh, oh, you know uh, oh, one size fits all the, the uh, latex, plastic ones. Plastic latex elbow yes, yeah. gloves. Right. Oh, a bit of confusion there. Yeah. Hey, then, hey, I don't know. I wasn't around back in the 50s. She might have still been going the latex, uh, you well, know, might have been just as latex uh, were invented. Yeah. It'd be a bit weird, the Queen Mother running around with a uh, elbow-length latex glove. You'd be a little bit concerned. Yeah, and those those gloves don't always stay up so well. So, you know, one size fits all. Yeah. You know, she's quite a petite lady. <laughs> Rubber so. band. Might, might have had one of those little, little garter things, oh, you know, yeah, sort of just holding it up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Garter. You garter for your elbow glove, mate. <laughs> <laughs> These royals, mate, you never know what they're up to. Yeah, it's all sort of fancy stuff, isn't it? Now, Camilla, when she came out, the Duchess of Cornwall in Adelaide was a bit worried. Right. 
uh, as she was wearing a white suit while cuddling the koalas. Oh, so wow, there's yes. There's a bit of a photo. I think she was a bit worried about the uh, the besmirchment of the royal garb. Yes, shall yeah, we yeah. Say. So obviously wasn't wearing the, the, the carving apron. Yeah, yeah. was the, wearing the, the, white, the white suit. Uh, mind you, though, I've never seen a koala with a dirty bum. So, you know, probably because they just wipe it on royals' white clothes you know, <laughs> yeah, when, maybe, when they're done. You know? Maybe. That's a good point. I've never really checked that in. They're no. always sitting on it. <laughs> a, koala, a koala skid mark on a royal. <laughs> that'd be all right. You know? <laughs> okay, a koala with a wiping problem. There's plenty of leaves around they could use. So. <laughs> Just picturing the koala doing like an anal gland scoot across, oh, across the yeah. well, what, what does one think this one is doing now? Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think, what is it, like a North Melbourne, a kangaroo's jumper, but in the green, you know? Just uh, just the skids oh, up the and white down, with the, yeah, the white stripes. <laughs> <laughs> be close to Collingwood, wouldn't it? Black and white? Oh, yeah, 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 maybe. <laughs> I imagine it'd be green, though, because that had a lot of leaves. A lot of leaves, a lot of green in there. You'd think so. Yeah. We can find no evidence that Princess Diana publicly ever cuddled a koala in Australia. Oh, controversy. But, no, oh. but, but she famously wore a hand-knitted koala jumper of Australian design. Ken Doan. Ken Doan. Got to be Ken Doan. It'd have to be, have yeah. To, be, to a polo match in 1982. Right. Now, the, the article goes on, but we're running short on time. I don't know how much you want to hear about these royal stuff. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea at the time when I was reading it. Uh, but on Tuesday at Taronga, when the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, which is Harry and Meghan, meet Joey's Harry and Meghan, right? So name some koalas after them. Things won't be so quite so hands-on. Meghan won't get to cuddle her namesake. Pursuant, now you'd be aware of this, mate. You're up for the legals. Pursuant to clause eight brackets one of the Exhibited Animals Protection Regulation two thousand five. Right. You, you know that one, mate. You just absolutely roll that off. yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Roll it off for it. No? All right, I'll read it out. Zoos exhibiting koalas to the public must ensure that koalas are not placed directly on any visitor or directly held by any visitor for any purpose. Especially if they share the same name. Yeah, yeah, or they're going to besmirch the garments, yeah. I think. <laughs> Interaction of koalas by members of the public must be restricted to patting, stroking and cuddling to the extent of putting an arm around the koala while the animal remains on a fixed perch. Right, okay. So... Uh, Deborah Tabart came out pu- all punching. CEO of the Australia Koala Foundation says there's no proof that a quick cuddle does the creature any harm. Right. Oh, I hope it's hope it's chlamydia free. Free, yeah. yeah. Quick cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> Always need to check that. <laughs> well, I think that's more of a longer cuddle, isn't it? That's the time. You know. Oh, you, you're probably right. <laughs> mate. Yes, yes. A longer koala cuddle. cuddle? Yes, yeah. yeah. One yeah. of those special koala cuddles. Well, it's kind of like something you might say as a teenage boy to your to your girlfriend. You know, well, just just a short cuddle won't do us any harm. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, koala, are you? Go, yeah, oh. yeah. In Queensland, you can hold a koala to your body. She said. In New South Wales, you can only sidle up to one on a stick. But <laughs> like a lo- like a lollipop. <laughs> as long as it's perched on a stick, it's fine. Otherwise, gee, was those those um those New South Welsh and uh, you know, uh, koalas pretty hung up, aren't they? You yeah. know, pretty there's, precious. There's some, there's some strict laws, man. They're protecting those koalas only on a stick, mate. Hey, up on a stick, buddy, and not have a cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Alrighty, you got anything, mate? Uh, yeah, I, I was just wanting to talk about um, at work at the moment because we're getting into springtime here around in. Uh, uh, Melbourne slash Australia, we're getting to that time when uh, cuddles are happening. Can, well, the puss, long puss, cuddles yeah, are happening. Kitty cats are going out and trying to find other kitty cats to try and love each other in very special oh, ways. Right, so yes. um, we're seeing an increase in cat bite abscesses. Yes. Also seeing an increase in uh, in cats with uh, lower urinary tract disease as well. And a couple of them have actually been because the cats are getting stressed out. And this is one that I, as a yeah the the behavioural bent that you have that you'd find very interesting that. Yep. Um, um, so cats are coming and weeing on the front door, yep. which is upsetting one of the cats. So then the uh, so then the cat that's getting upset is going beating up the other cat, yeah. which then means that the other cat has now gone and developed a urinary tract, uh, a urinary problem. So redirected aggression, mate. It's, it's pretty common. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, com- so um, common in dogs on a leash too. You know, walking along. And one dog sees another dog in the distance and then attacks the one on the leash, you know, and they, they yeah. fight. So same sort of thing. It, but it sounds like a Zilkeen deficiency to me, though, Well, mate. funnily enough, that's what they've gone home with. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst other stuff, of course. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah we'll get an was, update next week. Eh? Yeah, How's for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, so we're seeing, uh, given that there's a lot of cats that are starting to cruise around, um, 
keep an eye out if your cats are jumping in and out of the tray, having a bit of a scratch, you know, or try and keep them in at night so it's less likely they're going to get into fights. Yes. If you do know there are other cats hanging around, keep your cats in, you know, yeah. just yeah. try and try yeah. and keep them out Maybe of the problem. Maybe cat sex can help a little bit, help with the roaming. Oh, hell yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 De- definitely get them de-sexed. But yeah, if you've got other cats that are starting to roam around, starting to get them into trouble, yeah, try and think about ways of trying to avoid it. Because yeah, we're seeing quite a few cases of uh, cat roaming related issues right, okay. at the clinic at the moment. Ah, very good, mate. All right, let's, let's hit the disclaimer. Yeah, no problems. All advice on the show is general in nature, so please consult your veterinarian before following any advice for your pet. We do our best to provide the most up-to-date information, but as veterinary medicine is continually advancing and changing, please let us know if we have missed anything. Lewis, what's cooking, mate? Because it is special, special day today. This is very special, mate. This week we sat down... With Dr. Danny Hulhan, a skin specialist from Veterinary Dermatology Clinics, and we grilled her yes. in, a, in a nice way. Yes. About common skin problems in dogs and cats. Now, the interview interesting started a little slow as, as we, we realised at the last minute we didn't know a lot about Danny. Yeah. Apart from <laughs> the fact that she's an awesome skin specialist. Yeah. And we didn't actually have an official CV of her education, did we? No, we didn't. But thankfully, certainly proof from there. joined by uh, Dr. Danny Hulahan, specialist dermatologist. Um, I'll just read through your CV here, Danny. We were uh, trying to work out uh, whether or not we uh, had one and uh, we, we couldn't find one. And so I said, should we make one up? And he's <laughs> going, oh, I don't know. You know, and so we had a look and we found it online at your uh, at your clinic. So um, so we'll read through. Danny Hulahan, specialist dermatologist, diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Dermatology. Danny graduated from Murdoch University in 2007 with honours. She worked in a busy small animal general practice in both Sydney, Australia, and Portland, Oregon, before completing a dermatology internship in Perth, Western Australia, and then moving to the University of California, Davis, to join the dermatology service at the William R. Pritchard Veterinary Medical Teaching Hospital as a resident. Danny finished her residency in 2013, became a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Dermatology in the same year. Upon completion of her residency, Danny continued work as a clinical dermatologist at UC Davis, providing instruction to undergraduate students and consulting on referral cases. Danny enjoys all aspects of veterinary dermatology, but are particularly interested in uh, otitis, immune-mediated skin disease, and allergic skin diseases. Um, and she joins us here today in the pod cave, Dr. Danny Hulahan. Welcome. How are you going? Great. Thank you so much for having me today. Thanks for coming in. So cu- currently uh, you've got a veterinary dermatology clinic, is that right? That's right. So uh, we see dermatology only referral cases and um, we consult from uh, Sydney, Canberra, uh, Coffs Harbour, Newcastle, Tasmania, all over the place really. Wow, that, that is a huge area. So it's so obviously really passionate about your skin stuff. Absolutely. I think when I was a vet student, I was always attracted to skin and I think there's a few different reasons for that yes um one I can see what I'm doing most of the time when we examine an animal with skin disease we have a very good idea about what's happening um before even doing any other diagnostic tests right the second reason is patients with skin disease tend to have a chronic skin condition so we're managing them throughout their life and I really like building those relationships with clients yes when I had my first baby I had more clients come to visit me in the hospital than I did friends (laughs) (laughs) really no not with their itchy dogs and stuff they left those out in the car did they or just with the window down no dogs in the hospital oh were their babies itchy were they (laughs) no it wouldn't be the first human patient that has come to see me and I've been told that we only see pets (laughs) oh right that could get awkward, depending on where the rash is, I suppose. <laughs> I guess one of the big things that we've seen change, and probably even from when you graduated as well back in 2007, um, is a change in the in the options for what people have got for trying to care for um, their animals when there's when there's weird stuff going on, you know. Like so, back um, back in the day when there was less in the way of specialist options, you know, be it for dermatology or surgery or medicine or whatever. Um, how do you see things sort of shaping up now in the world of 
uh, veterinary medicine and what we've got to offer um, in what you do with your uh, with your dermatology clinic with uh, in terms of like your referring vets and things that you can offer for clients yeah so I guess since I um, even since I was part of the veterinary industry and for me that started when I graduated in 2007 which seems like a lot longer ago than it did even a couple of years ago <laughs> oh, um, don't worry about it. I graduated in 99 so <laughs> these are you for better now <laughs> I'm 2001 so at least we're the still the same century you know, rather than you know old codge over here Absolutely. thanks mate yeah <laughs> Um, and I think that now the options for pet owners have expanded dramatically and there are still pet owners that are not sure that there are specialists that exist for animals. Yes. Um, now we have 19 dermatology specialists in Australia. Wow. So that is considerably more than we have ever had before yeah. and there are more vets undergoing specialty training. And um, how I see us fitting in with uh, vets in general is referring vets are certainly the first stop or general practice vets are the first stop for all skin concerns and general practice vets do a great job at managing these skin cases but they are certainly chronic and there's things that dermatologists are able to do um, that general practitioners don't perform for example allergy testing and desensitization Um, and that's where the dermatologist fits into the piece. Yeah, well, certainly I find as a, certainly as a GP vet is you talk about the chronicity or, you know, the skin conditions just seem to be going on and on and they can be just so frustrating for owners that, you know, they, they go to one vet and they might go to another vet and then they go on Facebook and their friends recommend a third vet. And you know, we talked about earlier how often you know, clients do shop around because of the frustration not being able to get a solution, I think. And that's where some someone like yourself... Um, you know that there needs to be a point where you go all right that you know I've been to the vet maybe the GP vet t- twice throat three times maybe hasn't improved now it's time for a referral and get get the big guns in like yourself yeah absolutely and I think that when we see a patient with itchy skin we know that there's usually a limited number of causes for that and so we exclude the most common causes and once we come to a diagnosis of environmental allergies or atopic dermatitis that is a lifelong condition and I think it's very important to have that conversation with the owner because many owners think that this condition can be cured overnight with a tablet with a injection whatever but um, some Martha Gardner's wool wash or uh, some tea tree oil maybe or some garlic (laughs) cider vinegar Um, yes none of those things are particularly helpful unfortunately and interestingly Interestingly, I think even before a client goes to see their general practice vet, they've tried most of those things. They've right. tried 10 or 12 different things, trying to find the solution. Um, but unfortunately, they're not usually effective. Yeah. So if, 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 a, if someone who's you know, listening now, they've got an itchy dog and, you know, it's sort of the dog's just started itching. I know it might depend on how old the dog is or whatever. What's your sort of recommendation? Should they start, try something at home? Is there something simple that they can do at home? Or do you think the first stop should be the GP vet? Yeah, I mean, I think if it's a, a dog that's just started itching and um, they're, they're mildly itchy, the first thing I would make sure we're doing is giving regular flea and tick prevention. And um, I'm always shocked at the number of people that are not routinely giving their dogs flea and tick prevention in Australia. Um, it's absolutely essential. And flea allergy dermatitis is extremely common. Um, and so that would be step number one. And we're very fortunate to have good options for flea prevention these days. Especially in the last little while too, like the, um, the in the last, was it 12 months or eight or two years the number of different products and not just the spot-ons but some of the the really good um uh, systemically acting medications have just really changed the way that we treat the um the skin the skin bugs fleas and ticks and that sort of stuff and it's been incredible i think Absolutely. I mean, we're all of a similar vintage and I'm sure you can imagine when you were growing up and this was me, every Saturday it would be the flea shampoo followed by the flea powder and everyone's getting covered in flea prevention and oh, they were not effective really. I, I remember when I was a kid, my brother and I, um, well, it was it was my brother and I for only a short period of time, but then um, it was just me. Our next door neighbours had two German shepherds, you know, one big uh, normal shepherd and a white one. And he would get me to come over and wash the dog in the flea shampoo, in the flea rinse, you know, the old Malawash stuff, because he didn't want to do it himself. <laughs> and so he's exposing this teenage kid, right, <laughs> to this horrible Malawash stuff. Oh, just terrible, you know. Well, I remember when I first graduated and started working in the country, our, our go-to were, was Nucka Doll. 
Nakadol, which is like some sort of toxic skin stuff, and and the Amitraz tick washers. So you'd send the dog down to the groomer to to wash them with Amitraz, and the groomer come out all ticking and jerking, and you're like, oh, that that stuff seems pretty fine. That's, that's all. That all seems really good. So yeah, no, so I'm probably a little bit older than you guys by the sound of it. Um, so so obviously, okay, so they've they've tried the the flea preventative at home and stuff, and perhaps the dog's still sort of itchy, and so they head down to their GP vet. What sort of things, you know, where should, what should the GP vet doing? What are they expecting them to do when they've got an itchy dog? What, what's your first sort of steps, do you think? Yeah, so I guess before we get to that step, um, another comment that I would make is making sure they're using a great flea and tick preventative. Ah, yes, not, good one, yes. Not all flea and tick preventatives are created equal. And Let's um, mention some names, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Any of them got uh, celebrity vets on them at all? Oh, not that I know of. Oh, I mean, okay. But, uh, not the good ones <laughs> and not the bad ones. <laughs> um, but I think that looking for a, a flea and tick preventative, um, my preference is always an oral flea and tick preventative. And um, certainly some of the oral ones now are also labelled for mites. And so, for example, yes. Simparica is labelled for flea, tick and mite prevention. And, yes. Um, it kills fleas incredibly quickly. So flea allergic dog, um, it's certainly my preference. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. So then. So they've done. They've. They bought the correct one at the. Not the supermarket. At the vet. They've. Yep. They've gone for the. The good one. The. The oral, uh, flea and tick preventative. And then they head down to the vet, uh, GP vet. And so, what sort of things are we looking for the GP vet to, to, to do in the first, you know, first consult that they see the vet? You know, what. What are they going to do? So probably one of the most important things about seeing a dermatology patient is taking a really thorough history. And yes. one of my first questions is, what flea and tick prevention are you giving your pet? <laughs> um, and so if we've ticked that box, um, then we start to ask other questions. So for example, how old was the dog when it first became itchy? Yeah, right. We know food allergies are more common in dogs that are less than 12 months of age versus environmental allergies yeah. tend to develop a little bit later. Although it's interesting, when I was in vet school, I was told that environmental allergies were more common in dogs between 12 months and three years of age. I see younger dogs with environmental allergies all the time. French bulldogs, blue staffies, Sharpays, they are itchy as soon as they are born and they have environmental allergies. Um, And so once we've determined the age of onset, that's going to help us narrow down the possibilities causing the itch. And then another thing that's really important in dermatology is distribution. Is the dog licking and chewing the paws, rubbing the belly or commando crawling on the carpet? Have we had ear infections before? All of that information is incredibly useful. Now, another thing that the vets will likely do is take preliminary samples. So we tend to take samples from the surface of the skin, not particularly high tech. We often use sticky tape. Does yes. it look very Nice sellotape, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. The, yeah. I would say I go through about 100 rolls of scotch tape a year. Nice. Um, so very useful tool. And when we're doing that, we're looking uh, uh, for infection. Uh, are they sponsor the podcast? <laughs> are they sponsor you at all? <laughs> no, not we at should, all. Works on board. Yeah. yeah, we should get 3M or sellotape on board, I reckon, by the sound of it. <laughs> Um, And the other thing they'll often do is scrape for mites. Now, mites are very uncommon these days because, as I said before, our flea and tick preventatives, um, if we purchase great ones, are often great at killing mites as well. Um, And so identifying any infections is important. And that's probably the initial visit when we see the vets. Yeah, right. Okay. Fantastic. And I guess uh, part of the stuff you talk about, um, you know, you talk about environmental allergies, um, you know, uh, food allergies, you know, why is it that some animals, some dogs, or oh, I suppose cats as well, seem to get these allergies and some don't? You know, what's, what's the difference? Why, you know, why are we seeing in some dogs and not others? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess we see it more commonly in certain breeds. So there's obviously genetic predisposition to that. Yes. Um, for example, with environmental allergies, we see it commonly in French bulldogs, Labradors, German shepherds. Yes. Um, and so there certainly is an inherited component with that disease process. Okay. And so what's what are you, what's the number one breed that walks through your doors? Oh, it depends on what area I'm consulting in. Right. So ah. we did an analysis of our records in eastern suburbs of Sydney. We are a 40% French bulldog practice. Wow. Um, in okay. Canberra we're 30% staffy practice. So I think it depends on uh, the area and which dog happens to be most popular. Right. Oh, fantastic. Okay. And um, so I guess, you know, you've been to see, you know, the GP vet for for a few times. At what point do you sort of recommend us as GP vets should be referring these skin cases on to you to, for you to manage um, and then, you know, get them at a, at a manageable level and they can come back to us or we can continue to manage them ourselves. 
Yeah, what I would say is as early as possible, but I guess it depends on if the client is interested in referral. So if the client's interested in referral, that's great. Send them on as early as you can. Once you've made that diagnosis of atopic dermatitis or environmental allergies, because we know if we do allergy testing and desensitization in a younger patient, we do have a better success rate. Oh, okay, right. So um, if you get them when they're young, is is that because you're getting the immune system before it's had as much of a chance to try and... I mean, that's part of the reason why we vaccinate animals, isn't it? To try and get the immune system stronger to try and defend against stuff, whereas an allergies reacting to stuff that it shouldn't really be reacting against. So is it longer exposure, like a stronger immune response? Yeah, I don't know that that's necessarily the reason, but how I kind of explain it to clients, yeah. and um, I usually talk about environmental allergies and dogs being allergic to weeds, trees, grasses, insects, moulds, all the same sorts of things that cause hay fever in people. Yeah, right. And it's essentially an inappropriate response. So I don't have allergies. I walk out into the street and my immune system encounters eucalyptus, recognises it, but completely ignores it because yeah, it's right. not an issue for me. An allergic dog might walk out into that same street, encounter eucalyptus allergens, and that creates an immune response. So essentially what we're trying to do is build tolerance. So once we've identified what the dog is allergic to, we administer that at low doses. And over time, we hope to desensitize that patient. So when they walk out into the street, they encounter eucalyptus and they dismiss it. It's not something they need to mount an immune response to. Yeah, right. Now, that process is not going to work overnight. So the average time to response is nine months, but it can take up to 18 months. Yeah, and right. so if we get a 12-year-old dog that's had allergies for 12 years and we start that process... We're going to be 14 maybe by the time anything significant happens. And I certainly think that clinically I appreciate less success in that older population of dogs. So um, really the younger the better. Now, having said that, for the most part, we won't test them until they're 12 months of age. They need to live at least a year on planet Earth so they can be exposed (laughs) to all of the things that are potentially pollinating. And especially around in their area too. Absolutely. That's right. And some people often wait up to 18 months of age as well. I don't think that I often push to 18 months. I think 12 months is an appropriate age to test. Is it okay enough time to get yeah. in and get it done? Yeah, righty. Good stuff. And that, that testing basically involves you give the dog a sedation, don't you? And then you inject small amounts of each allergen just under the skin on yeah. the dog and, and, and assess their response. Is that is that sort of how it goes? That's right. So there's two different types of tests that can be performed for dogs with allergies, uh, environmental allergies. One is an intradermal skin test. So it's similar to what they do with people on the forearm when they're doing a scratch test. Oh, yes. Um, the other is a blood test. And I usually recommend performing both. They're testing slightly different aspects of the immune response. And I'm yet to have profiles that are absolutely identical. Um, there is a light sedation given for the skin test. No dog will lie still for 71 needles. <laughs> Absolutely none. Um, and I usually say to clients, it is a very light sedation. So dogs are not completely anaesthetized. And if they really wanted to, they could run away from me. It would just look like they had a glass of Shiraz. So um, it is a very light sedative and a very safe procedure. Yeah. Actually, it reminds me when I was going through uni, there was you mentioned there's a, the skin test and there's a blood test. Mm. I don't know if you remember a long time ago, there was a company that was, I think it, was, it might have been in the States, that was doing a hair test mm. to test. Yeah, no, I like your response there. So we, they did a little, just a small little, I think, a pilot study just out of uh, one of the unis, I won't say where, and they sent off some samples of, uh, you know, a few dog's hair, a few samples of dog's hair to, to see what it was alluded to. They sent off a sample of a cat hair this was all under dogs names and then they also got a teddy bear and they trimmed <laughs> off some fur of the teddy bear and it came back the teddy bear was the most allergic to everything so <laughs> so so i don't think that hair testing was particularly accurate and that's probably why it's dropped off you're not mentioning it well and it's i mean to be honest i think that the accuracy of the saliva test is very similar to right. um i guess the main point of what you've just discussed is that if we look on the internet, these tests are still offered and they're very ah. well marketed. So people tend to do them at home. They take a cheek swab, they pluck some hairs. Very easy to in. do. Yeah. Absolutely. And then they go and see their vets or they come to see me and they're told they spent $500 to oh. absolutely nothing. Wow. And so I think before entering into those costly um, tests, it's most important to go and see your local vets so that we're not spending money on things that are not going to be useful. Right. Fantastic. Okay. And uh, also recently, you know, Robbie was talking about there's new um, um, anti sort of parasitic medications that are out fleeing tick treatments, but there's also some new medications that have been out in the last sort of you know, two years or so treatment for, for atopy, for, for al- allergy stuff. Um, in dogs I know we can't sort of mention any names today but can you give us a bit of an idea of sort of you know 
perhaps on a simple level how they work and and uh, how you think they've changed the lives of, of some of the some of your patients and 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 the dogs and cats we see absolutely so i've been a vet for over 10 years and i think Certainly in the early phases of being a vet, we commonly use steroids to manage dogs oh, with allergies. Oh, of course. Yeah, but vitamin P, yeah. vitamin prednisolone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and steroids, while they're very effective, are associated with side effects. And yeah. it's quite interesting because some of the most common short-term side effects that we see are very obvious. So they drink more, they pee more, they eat more. Um, but I think that one of the side effects that is probably under-recognized is how it makes them feel. So I've had dogs that are on very low doses of steroids, maybe once or twice a week. Yeah, right. And we take them off steroids and transition them to another anti-itch therapy. And the owners say they're like puppies again. So I wonder if it's making them feel lethargic, unwell, whatever. And that's very common. Well, we, we, as a, you know, I do beha- uh, some behavior stuff. You know, My interest is, is certainly behavior. And we do sometimes obviously see aggression. Um, with with going on cortisone as well, and I, I certainly think it does have some mental effects. Yeah, I t- totally agree with you there. So, so these new medications, um, you know, means we're not using steroids or prednisolone as much anymore. Um, and how the effectiveness of them? How do you feel? How effective are they? Yeah, so I guess um, with newer information comes newer uh, tools for us to be able to utilise. So probably one of the most important things that's been discovered in the last sort of decade or so is that these dogs with environmental allergies have a defect in their skin barrier. So when I'm explaining this to clients, I equate it to a bricks and mortar model. Yeah, um, right. So bricks are our skin cells and the mortar is the lipid or sort of fatty matrix in the between The stuff that them. glues it together. That's to exactly right. Up. Yeah. And so... In an atopic or an environmentally allergic dog, it looks like someone's taken a sledgehammer to that brick wall. So there are big gaps in between our skin cells. That allows allergens like pollens and dust mites, etc., etc., to penetrate. And then that creates an immune response that results in environmental allergies. Now, we know once this immune response starts, there's a little protein that's produced called IL-31. And that protein is involved in itch. So essentially it binds to nerves and the sensation of itch is transmitted to the brain. So what if we create a product that can block that little itch protein? And now we have two. So we have um, two very effective um, and very well tolerated products for our environmentally allergic dogs. Because it means that because the the thing with prednisolone, so when you're using prednisolone, the reason why it makes them drink more and wee more and get hungry and alters their behavior and stuff is because prednisolone is produced by our, or cortisol is produced by our adrenal glands because it affects everything around the body. What these new products do is they hone in down on a very, very specific little pathway that, you know, there's not many other medications that we've got even for treating other diseases that are so specific for a a tiny little pathway to say, well, let's block this and then nothing else. Like even our anti-inflammatories and things, they still have effects elsewhere on the body, whereas these ones... They're really, really specific, aren't they? Absolutely. And I kind of compare it to Labradors. So I have two Labradors. They are not particularly intelligent. And <laughs> if I sent oh. them on a mission... Is that what you're getting at, Danny? <laughs> well, no, because well, I think there's two different types of Labradors. So. Well, welcome to our Labrador listeners as well, owners. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've all just switched off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if I sent my Labradors on a mission to uncover, say, a bone in the backyard, I am likely to get every single piece of food that has ever been left in that backyard (laughs) dug up. Whereas if we go to the airport and we have a Labrador that is highly trained to detect drugs, for example, that is the only thing they are going to give us. So I think prednisolone is my Labradors, not particularly targeted. They want to uncover everything. And these newer products are like a well-trained Labrador. (laughs) They have a specific target and they're hunting for it. Oh, fantastic. And I think I like about certainly the new products and you have to go to your vet to to, to, talk about these or, or to you to a specialist um you know the newest one that out is it's a month lasting long lasting injection um and uh, certainly i've been using it used it a few times and found some really good success with it so you know like we said we can't sort of mention any names you know um on the podcast but but if you go to your vet and have a chat to them about you know what are the new medications available they can certainly recommend you know what, what to give yeah absolutely and i think we're so fortunate to have options now because when i graduated it was steroids yeah. and that was pretty yes. much all we had yes. and so now the fact that we have lots of different options for controlling skin disease in dogs that are really well tolerated is absolutely amazing and we're very fortunate to be vets at this exciting time yeah exactly especially with the, the number of uh, uh french bulldogs there are in the world now <laughs> i think it's perfect time well, and they don't seem to be slowing down either no. they are, and i have clients that 
not have not only one but five French bulldogs. Wow! And they bring them all in. So I block off half a day for those people oh because we're seeing the whole family. <laughs> Just line them up, eh? Absolutely. How the hell do they sleep with five snoring dogs oh. in their house? I mean, that is nuts. <laughs> unless they've unless they've got them in a like a soundproof studio. I mean, gee, where's the amount of noise at even one or two? Because we do have some Frenchy listeners that um, you know, I know when they come into the clinic and you, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, how you going, guys? Good to see you again. Times that by five? I mean, crikey, that's insane. Absolutely insane. I have a wonderful client on the south coast of uh, New South Wales and he sent me a video of his Frenchie snoring and how he ever gets any sleep, I have oh, no idea. Geez. He is so loud. Sounds like a 747 going over <laughs> your house. <laughs> One of those Harrier jets, you know, those hell, uh, those planes that sort of take off from, from yeah. a standing start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Danny, like with, um, I guess, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about with... Um, I mean, one of the most common things that we see as GP vets um, that has to do with skin is ears. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I don't think people understand that ears is a sign of still general skin disease. Because, oh, it's the ears. It's got nothing to do with the skin. I always try and equate it out to people, well, your ears are lined by skin cells. So if you've got a problem with your skin, well, then there's a chance you're going to have a problem with your ears too. You know, Tell us about you know, how is it that ears are affected or why do dogs get ear infections as part of the skin, uh, a skin allergic disease? So I think there's a lot of factors that contribute to ear disease, but probably one of the most common reasons that dogs continue to get ear infections or have recurrent ear disease is because sometimes we forget to address the underlying causes. So the most common triggers of ear infections in dogs, probably number one is an environmental allergy. So dog has allergies to things in the environment, may have itchy skin plus ear disease, might only be ear disease. And about 50% of dogs with environmental allergies will have ear infections as well. Wow. Um, The other common cause of ear infections is a food allergy. So 80% of dogs that have food allergies will also develop ear infections. And sometimes that is their only sign. Wow. So even by the time a client comes to see me, sometimes they're under the assumption that the ear disease is completely separate to the rest of the skin and that the ear disease might be caused because the dog has hairy ears swims a lot those are certainly yes. all contributing factors yeah, but they been to are the groomer not our main or, cause yeah, that's yeah, exactly just been to the groomer right. recently or yeah no, no i've tried put a bit of olive oil down there definitely that, yeah. no olive oil oh, down there oh. um probably the most interesting one i had was a guy who was hosing his dog's ears out every week now he was just trying to help his dog but popping a hose into the ear is probably not going to be the most helpful thing you need wow. to do Gee whiz, gosh. So, like, uh, you know, um, you know, if, if your dog's got uh, some itchy ears, you know, and again, you're at home again, what's the first thing you do? You grab that ear cleaner and just give it a squirt in there or perhaps you've got some leftover drops from last year. Is that a good idea just to pop those in the ear? No, absolutely not. <laughs> so, I would say if the dog has itchy ears, particularly if there's any discharge or odour, then that's all evidence of an infection. Right. So, usually people are going to pick that up very, very quickly. And I know straight away when my Labrador has an ear infection, it smells like, off cheese or disgusting corn chips. Oh, so, yeah. Um, that's definitely... Well indi- described, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're having nachos for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's definitely an indication to go straight to the vet. So the vets would take a swab from the ears. Yes. They determine what type of bacteria or yeast are in there. Um, and then they could take a look down the ears, make sure there were no grass seeds or little growths or tumours that were potentially contributing to that problem um, and then treat appropriately. And we always need to remember to make sure we go back assess the dog for a food allergy, assess the dog for an environmental allergy. So when I was in practice, in general practice, my kind of protocol was dog comes to see me for the first times, never had an ear infection before. Yep. I treat the ear infection and I say to the owner, if this happens again, we are having a big conversation about allergies. So I don't tend to have that conversation on their first visit, right. but I'll certainly have it on their second visit. Yeah. Okay. And um, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought there. Uh We'll edit that out. That's yeah, fine. Have something to do with skin, Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> might well have. Thanks, Robbie. Oh, that's put me straight back on track. That's where we are. Yeah. Oh, I'll throw over to you, mate. Hopefully, you got something. <laughs> so, I guess the other comment to make there as well is that um, sometimes the eardrum is actually ruptured, particularly with chronic ear disease. So, probably the last thing we want to do is put things into the ear yes. before the vets had a chance to assess. Yes. Yeah. I, I, actually, I have thought what I was going to say. Uh, what I noticed a lot, and I don't know how uh, sort of if you notice this, but certainly when I first graduated. 
we tend to be doing a lot of surgery on yeah. ears. So we're doing a lot of um, lateral ear canal resections and um, Tika uh, ear canal ablations just to open up the ear and allow drainage. But I reckon in the last maybe 10 years or so, just the improvement in the ear ointments that we now have and also perhaps the understanding that there's underlying allergies that yeah. cause ear problems. It's not just an ear problem. It's actually a whole body response. Um I don't reckon it's pretty rare that I see any dog that's had any of those surgeries. Is that your sort of experience? Yeah, or? I mean, it certainly still happens. And I think that the only indications for ear surgery is if there's a tumour in the ear canal that needs to be removed yeah, surgically. Right. Yep. Um, sometimes if these ear infections haven't been addressed for a, a period of time, there's a lot of chronic change. So thickening and we've seen those dogs with kind of cauliflower ears before. Yeah. Yeah, you, just, you try and look down there and you, and you, can't, you can't even get your get cone there. down there and it's sore and it hurts and trying to get drops down there is just a nightmare because a, the dogs know that their ears have been sore because it probably had some amount of drops down there for ages and the dogs just go, no, nah, you're not putting anything else down there about enough. Absolutely. So, I mean, those are probably occasions where there's a surgical dog. Now, I can count on one hand that a number of dogs I've ever sent for ear surgery. Yeah, so right. it is very, very, very uncommon wow, that that needs right. to occur. Um, and I think the issue, for example, with just taking, doing a lateral ear canal resection um, or even a tikaboo is we still have an tikaboo. Tikaboo. <laughs> this, this is my US roots coming out here, I think. <laughs> I love that at Tikaboo. Do you play Tikaboo with your kids? <laughs> I think my problem with that is that the dog is still having an allergy of some sort, whether that's a food or environmental allergy. So we've taken the ear canal away. That's great. But now we've got itchy ear flaps or pinners yeah. and then we've still got skin disease. Yes. So you can't keep cutting, can you? you just, no. Yeah, you're not with no skin. <laughs> that's exactly right. You can't cut out an allergy. No, you definitely can't. That could be the uh, our, our little sort of grab for the show. They've got it, nailed it. That's a good one. And it's interesting too because I think that, you know, people spend multi-thousands of dollars on these surgeries only to ha have a dog that still has skin and ear disease, yep. um, just minus the canal. So probably the most common reason I would send a dog, and as I said, I can count on one hand, is if the owners are truly unable to medicate those ears. And right. there's very few dogs. Usually we have tips and tricks to help them with those medications. Um, if they're truly unable to medicate and there's lots of chronic change, I think that's going to be a surgical case. But that's pretty rare. Right. Have you got some simple tips for medicating the ears? Can you go through some of those? Yeah. I mean, I think it should start when dogs are puppies. So, I mean, uh, my yes, one of... Yes, that's what I say. Yeah, Perfect. Yes. So, my youngest Labrador is only... Uh, she's just turned one this month and um, she's going to be atopic. There is absolutely no <laughs> doubt about it. She is well, she's Labrador. in the right house. <laughs> <laughs> so, when we first got her as a puppy, we started making sure that um, examination of her skin and ears was a really positive experience. Yes. Dogs love peanut butter. So yes. I'd play with her ears. I'd put the ear scope into his. Obviously, people are not going to be able to do that at home, um, but you could use a cotton wool ball to clean out the ears. Yes. Um, it's not harmful to clean the dog's ears regularly if they go swimming, for example, with epiotic ear cleaner after swimming. So she got used to having that ear cleaner in after she jumped in our pool. Um, yep. And now she loves having her ears looked at. When I pick up the ear cleaner she sits down and waits because she knows there's peanut butter peanut coming. butter coming so yeah i think that's where it starts now once they've developed ear disease and their ears are uncomfortable then it becomes a harder process yes. so vets can prescribe things to make the ears more comfortable and um and then once the ears are comfortable it may be much easier to medicate them we're very fortunate to have some long-acting ear medications yes. these days so yes if appropriate, depending on what the vets see under the microscope and when they look in the ear, sometimes we don't need people to do anything at home because it can all be done in a vet clinic with a long-acting preparation. Yeah, and I think that's amazing as well. There's some of those long-acting uh, ear ointments nowadays, just yeah. a change for some people that just can't do it at home. Absolutely. So, so I just want to change tack sort of quickly. So if we move on to maybe cats mm. um, and their you know skin conditions, which perhaps we don't see so much in a vet clinic, but I guess the really frustrating cats that I see are the ones that have the, the neck or the facial um, lesions, you know, have dermatitis around their neck and their face and they're just really, really, really itchy. Um, and you put, you know, we put Elizabethan collars on them, try and stop them scratching. We, you know, try all sorts of things. But what's you know what's as as a gp vet you know we've got a lot, a lot of vets that do do listen into the podcast as as well as pet owners what's sort of the first thing we should be looking at with those cats that are that are just really frantically itching in those areas 
you know what my answer is going to be. It's going to be make sure they're on flea control. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think my general approach to an itchy cat doesn't really vary, to be honest. So I always make sure they're on appropriate flea control. Yes. Um, and typically... And you like the oral ones as well, generally? Yeah. Or? I mean, Comfortis is uh, a great flea preventative and that's probably the most commonly used oral one in cats. Right. Um, but it does sometimes cause vomiting. Yes. Um, typically what I would use in a cat is Revolution. Right. Um, and the reason I use that is... Uh, are they a sponsor? Robbie, we, do we need to get them on board? <laughs> we'll see how we go, mate. We'll send them a sound grab and see whether or not we can get them to cut a check. Great idea. Love it, mate. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Danny. Um, and the Production meeting. that is, is because it's a great flea preventative, but it also takes care of a lot of ectoparasites or mites that cats can get. Yep. Um, and so then I feel like I've covered two bases. Now, the other thing that can commonly cause itching in cats is dermatophytes or ringworm. Um, yes. And so I usually do a fungal culture to make sure we haven't missed that. And probably something I hear from owners all the time is, I haven't got any lesions or my other cat's fine, but not everyone in the household needs to be affected. Right. Sometimes it's just one individual. So, um, so ringworm can be spread to humans, just letting people know. And, and despite it being called ringworm, it's not actually a worm. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a fungal ring- organism that's right right. um, so it can be spread to humans but I think that some individuals are more susceptible so I'm around ringworm all the time I've never had it yes Um, but I know when we've had a case come into the clinic because my nurse gets it every time spot on with same at our clinic yeah we've got you know there's you know, maybe five or six of us there and you'll get a, a ringworm kitten in from, from somewhere and no one will get it except this one nurse. And it's like, oh, well, we didn't need to do the test. We know it's ringworm. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Dude, when when, uh, when you get kittens in, you just sort of rub a different, like a skin allergy <laughs> test, you just rub a different kitten on different parts of her body. Yeah. We actually go, give, give this kitten a cuddle and then we wait, we wait a couple of days and, and have a check of her neck. <laughs> And so once I've um, done uh, ruled out ectoparasites and fleas and also ruled out uh, fungal uh, organisms, then the next step is to cover our allergy bases. So food allergies probably most commonly cause itching in cats and often around that head and neck area. Right. So cats can be allergic to the things we regularly feed them, including things like fish. And so the best way to rule out a food allergy is to put them on a strict elimination diet trial. Yes. Now, we don't generally do this with over-the-counter diets. This is going to be a diet that's prescribed by the vets. Yes. Um, and there's great diets made by Royal Cannon and Hills, etc., that can be utilised. The cats need to be eating this for at least eight weeks. Yes. Now, that's sometimes a challenge in a cat. I think dogs are much easier. Dogs are often happy to eat things that we put in front of them. I think cats go on a strike, and yeah. we certainly don't want them to go on a strike for too long. They can um, be very fussy, can't they? That's Definitely, right. yes. But there's multiple diets that vets can prescribe for cats that are suitable for food allergies, and so we can always change diets if we need to. Then cats are usually on this diet for at least eight weeks. We change the diet and we see what happens. Oh, so you revert back to the original diet maybe or try something else? Okay. Yeah, and if the skin signs flare up, and usually that happens very quickly within three days, sometimes up to two weeks, but most commonly within that first three-day period, then the cat could have a food allergy. And so that's the next base that we cover. So, so if you've got the, the cat on the the, uh, the food for the eight weeks, obviously they're, they're going to be itching potentially for that whole yeah. time. What do you sort of recommend as a, as a cover for that period? Well, I think initially making sure we've identified and treated any infections because infections are very common secondary to them scratching. Um, And then, to be honest, in cats, we don't have as many effective options as we do in dogs. So we do tend to rely on steroids a little bit more in those patients. Um, So I typically start a cat on steroids at the same time. Right. um, And that can be gradually tapered off throughout the duration of the diet Leading up to the end of the eight weeks. Absolutely. Okay. I think... um, one of the things I always say to people if we are doing a food trial is to be getting them in inside of that eight weeks as well because I find that if they've got an infection, you know, because then infection's often then going to drive a lot of the itch anyway, that you could spend eight weeks doing your food trial and if there's still infection there, that can muddy the waters. So do you generally get – but do you – are you monitoring for infection through that food trial period as well? Yeah, so I'd usually have them in for that first visit and then if there's infection present, I'd have them back at four weeks for a recheck to make sure that we'd resolve the infection and then often I'll just have owners give me a call or send me an email at the six-week mark. If the cat's doing well, they're happy, then we can talk about challenging the diet at eight weeks. So I think rechecks are really important and probably I think that people underestimate the importance of rechecks because otherwise it's hard to track progress and make sure that we've resolved anything, infections particularly that were present. Yeah, certainly. Okay, so then you've done your food trial, then sort of what's the next step with the itchy cat? 
So the next step after that would be that potentially the cat has environmental allergies yes. and those are incredibly common in cats. So we can do a similar thing to what we do with dogs. We do a prick test on the skin, also a blood test to yep. identify what they're allergic to. And probably an important point to make is there's no point doing any of that testing unless we're going to go down the path of desensitizing them yeah. because they can't avoid the things they're allergic to. We can't avoid pollens. We can't avoid dust mites. And um, so once we've identified those things, we can create a serum that's given to cats and dogs via injection um, and that desensitizes a great percentage of cats so i think in cats we have about an 83 percent response rate wow. so cats do very very well yeah okay and once again the younger we get cats the better right eh? oh fantastic okay and one other thing uh perhaps i want to touch on today is um uh we're seeing a lot of um increase in mrsp uh what uh multi-resistant methicillin resistant staphylococcus yeah so so we're seeing a lot of that with our skin cases these mm-hmm. days and it's quite sort of frustrating us at the vet clinic i certainly when i you know graduated there was no, none of these resistant sort of bugs around um, and we're seeing you know more and more of these cases could have you got some sort of uh, thought as to why they're increasing and and perhaps also as as gp vets what should we be perhaps doing differently to uh, decrease the chance of their occurrence so I think that um, in human medicine, uh, methicillin yep. and multi-drug resistant bacterial organisms are certainly on the rise as well. Um, and I think one of the things that we can do as veterinarians is make sure that they're on our radar. So um, there are, is some literature to support the fact that recurrent courses of antibiotics are associated with increased resistance right. um, in bacteria. And so my protocol is if I've had a patient that's been on antibiotics, particularly more than two courses in a 12-month period, I'd certainly be offering a culture to those people. Um, so, so that's when you're looking for the, the skin infection. So you've got a dog that's got a skin infection yeah. and it keeps on getting it. You go, right, we need to go and work out what bug this is. Absolutely. So we swab the skin, send that off to the lab. They identify the bacteria and tell us which are the best antibiotics to use. Now, not everyone's able to do that. And so if that's not possible, I think that trying to rely more heavily on topical therapies rather than using antibiotics. But that's very difficult. So, for example, if I had a dog with a generalized bacterial infection and I wanted to treat it with topical therapy alone, I'd probably be recommending the owners bathe the dog with Maliseb at least three times a week, yeah, right. followed by Resiclor lotion. Right. Um, and we want to do that for at least two to three weeks. Now, if you asked me to do that, there yes. is zero chance of that happening. Yeah. My dogs have not had a bath in two years. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> not going to be possible. And the day they get it, it's going to be the dogs in, the kids in, the husband in, everyone's at, it's bath day. That's bath day exactly at the whole hand right. household. Yeah, yeah. So it is very difficult. Having said that, though, I think that my clients are much more dedicated pet owners yes. than I am. And they are willing to do that a lot of the time. So I think as vets, we should be offering topical therapy as first line to our clients. Right. Okay, yep. only prescribing antibiotics if they're unable to do topical therapy. Yeah, right. And I think that would make a huge difference in decreasing antimicrobial resistance. And yeah. then another point to consider is making sure that we prescribe appropriate doses of antibiotics. Right, so okay. um, doses for skin infections are often higher than the doses that are recommended by manufacturers with their products. Right, okay. um, and durations. So we need to treat particularly superficial skin infections for a minimum of four weeks. Yeah, right. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So I guess that's the thing of, you know, use the right antibiotic when you need to at the right dose and for the right period of time yeah. and not just a... I'm going to, you know, I guess part of the issue is, you know, owners seem to have become so beholden, you know, if I don't go home with antibiotics and my vet hasn't done a job for me, you know, isn't it? And uh, the industry has to move away from that and the client's expectations have to move away from an antibiotic tablet isn't going to solve the problem. We can solve it in other ways and use the antibiotics there when we actually really, really need them. Absolutely. And I think the other point to make too is these skin infections are not just developing for no reason. We've got to remember to address those underlying causes. And in itchy dogs, it's usually an allergy. Because unless we address that, these infections are going to keep coming back. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, So, Danny, uh, apart from the, you know, these... The, the wonderful new super meds that we've got, you know, which are, which are changing, you know, changing the world for us. What else gets you out of bed in the morning for dermatology? What else gets you sort of jumping up and going, fantastic, today's another day I get to be a dermatologist. What's happening now? What's in the future that you're really, really excited about? 
Oh, that's a tough question. So I think I'm always excited to be a dermatologist. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Great answer. And that's a wrap. (laughs) Um, And I think that there is so much stuff on the horizon. So there um, are potentially vaccines for dogs with atopic dermatitis on the horizon. Now, I don't know if we'll see those becoming commercially available in our lifetime, but that is something that um, has been proposed. And even just the fact that we have um, a a product um, for for dogs that is effective and well-tolerated to control itch, I mean, that's only been available in Australia for a very short period of time. Yes. Now, in human medicine, they have similar types of products and... Um, I was listening to a talk from a human dermatologist recently um, in Croatia and she was talking about management of um, atopic dermatitis in people and she spent a lot of time focusing on creams and moisturisers and and someone asked her why she hadn't spoke about the the similar product that humans have and and she said it's because it costs $50,000 a year. So the fact that we have something that is, I guess, affordable is also just amazing. Wow. So perhaps we should start exporting it to Croatia. Is that (laughs) what you should (laughs) <laughs> there's, a, there's a little byline for us of a chat after the show eh? <laughs> oh, and I think you know just making a big difference in these pets lives because at the end of the day this is a chronic condition and in people that have chronic skin conditions they have much higher rates of depression and anxiety and right. I certainly think we see that in our pets so being able to control their allergies making them and their owners happy is incredibly rewarding Fantastic. All righty. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Danny Hulhan, for coming on today from uh, Veterinary Dermatology Clinics in, uh, you're based out of Sydney, Canberra. You also do a bit of Tasmania, is that right? Yeah, Hobart and Launceston. Yeah, right. Fantastic. Very, very, very busy, busy woman. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and as a token of our appreciation, we have a little uh, Two Vets Talk Pets uh, podcast uh, show bag. Oh, that's now, When you great. open it up, you understand why we call it a show bag, I think. So if you want to just – so, yeah, now I'll get <laughs> now, now I'll get Robbie to explain. So uh, D- Danny's just pulled out a, a little uh, – a little what we call a mindfulness jar on the Two Vets Talk Pets uh, 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 podcast. Um you got a minute to just stick oh Robbie's busy looking for his phone to get a photo of when uh, I saw the uh, specimen container I thought there was going to be something else in there initially (laughs) (laughs) Um, so in the last podcast Danny we're talking about um, uh, a mindfulness jar that my daughter made at school and um, so you swirl it around and then all and by the time all the uh, the glitter falls to the ground and you watch it then it sort of helps you to find peace but it's just that when she handed it to me it was a jar of yellow liquid because she put yellow stuff in there so it seriously just looked like a big urine jar so um so so yeah that, so that's your own mindfulness jar there with any time during the day oh, and and yes now you pulled out a, 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 some binoculars that who needs, um a, who needs a microscope when you've got binoculars well, that's right and look I, I have tested those and and listeners will appreciate that uh that i've been hanging on to those since father's day oh. <laughs> We're not, we're not, I might have got more than one. <laughs> we're, we're, we're big on regifting here at Two Vets Talk Pets. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you talk about looking at things up close and certainly you can't look at anything far away with those. They certainly don't work. So they're really good for looking it up close on the skin, I reckon. So I thought you might appreciate them more than my, the two that I've got. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, and then some, some chocolate there as well. Um, and if you dig a bit further, there might be, we've got a, a limited edition uh, Two Vets Talk Pets car sticker there. And actually, while I've been talking to you, we've had someone actually go on and just put 50 on your car out at the front there so uh, <laughs> thankfully it's a rental <laughs> oh oh uh, oh oh the, the gum on those are gonna be hard to get off uh, hope you get your bond back that's something we can use the eucalyptus oil for is for getting the sticker goo off absolutely <laughs> good one yeah. and also and also the the final thing i want to i thought i'd present separately probably the uh the thing you're most hoping for i'd imagine if you're a listener of the podcast but uh i just hand the box and open it up and uh, wow, yeah, it's a, that's great. Yeah, a limited again, a limited edition two vets talk pets uh, uh, podcast mug, um, so that you know during those long days you tell us you saw fifty five skin cases on the weekend. So I'm sure you drink <laughs> lots of cups of coffee to keep that going. Um, and and Robbie, and I'm more than happy to uh, to autograph that for you if, if oh, you like. Oh, thank it. you so much. <laughs> <laughs> it goes a bit cheaper on eBay, I think, though, if it's not mint condition. So, <laughs> but but thank you so much, uh, Danny, for coming on and and. Uh, and uh, sharing your um, your specialty, your skin specialty, with us today, and um, and so where are the how, if someone say wanted to get in touch with you, 
you, owners perhaps want to have a chat with you or come and visit you, where's the best way they can they can find out about you? Yes, yeah, so I think we live in a social media age yes. and we're certainly on Facebook. So if people yes. look up Veterinary Dermatology Clinic on Facebook, all of our contact details will be there. Fantastic. All right, wonderful. Thanks so much, Danny. Thanks very much for having me on. Bye. Awesome knowledge she has about everything about skin. After we finish recording, she did mention she thought that, uh, that you were a better presenter than a certain celebrity who's still stuck in the jungle, mate. I, I do. Well, actually, I think it was the two of us, mate. It was a, um, it was a two for one deal. Oh. It's the addition of the two of us. She said, I think it was. I, I think didn't she say, "Have you guys been on radio?" And oh, it's yes. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's right. and it's like, well, no, no, not no. We really. said yes. No, listening, uh, <laughs> listening to the radio. <laughs> Yeah, don't listen to lose the radio. The, don't I, lose the illusion. I, I sat on a radio once, you know. But, <laughs> but I reckon, um, you know, it must be it must be our hair, mate. That uh, you know, or maybe you know, you, you like a run along the beach, and the celebrity vet in the jungle, he likes to run along the beach. Maybe that's a similarity don't, there. Did, did you reckon Brownie runs around, or oh, is he just just yeah, sitting there? Just show, does, just does four hundred sit ups. Ooh, maybe. And maybe then he runs out of the surf holding a surfboard. Oh, but, oh, does he? Did you say his name? We're not allowed to say his name. No, I, I, I just said you know a colour. <laughs> A colour. <laughs> I was I was talking about a chocolatey dessert, you know. Dr. Uh, Dr. Christine Black. Is <laughs> that what you said? <laughs> All righty. Well, he's not sponsoring us either, so that's fine. We can say whatever we like yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> I've, I've actually never seen... So does he run out of the surf, holding onto a surfboard oh, on his show, one, does he? One stage he did initially in the show. I don't oh, know, did he? I haven't seen it for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. But it's Bondi, this surf must be... Something like that. It'd, it'd, fit, it'd fit the, uh, you know, I guess fit the demographic. I suppose so. And how about Danny? She's she's not a huge fan of the apple cider vinegar, is she, as treatment for skin <laughs> problems? <It's a> bit, <laughs> that's a bit strange. Keep it, it for your cooking, not for your skin problems. Yeah, I imagine if she went on Facebook, man, she would be forever just arguing with people. Yeah. Everyone thinks that cures everything. Well, the, uh, one of the, the great things with Danny is it's the way she explains things and breaks things down, it makes it real. Like, so I um, uh, heard a, a webinar she was doing uh, once and that was, uh, you know, when we had the chance to then interview her, I thought, well, that'll actually be fantastic because she is just, you know, so good at being able to explain things. So it was uh, it was actually really, really good. I really enjoyed it. She was, uh, hopefully we can get her on again one day. She's awesome. Mate. Yeah, it was really, really, really good and, um, and, and great to have someone so knowledgeable exactly and like you said, explain stuff. So... But that's that's we're getting the end of the show, mate. I reckon uh, we um, everyone. Want, you, if you've got any questions, uh, you know, no skin questions anymore. Thanks. We <laughs> <laughs> well, no, hit us send us skin questions. Go, we'll hit Danny back up again. We'll give her a reason to come back down. Right. We go, Danny. We've got all these questions. Come and hit us up. Everyone loved you. Uh, love list- hearing from that's you. That's an awesome idea. Fill yeah. up with listeners' questions. Love it. That'd be got great. an itchy dog. Got something wrong with your cat? You know, your skin problem. That's hit right. Hit us up with some questions. Stinky ears. Chewy feet. <sighs> You know, old, got yep. got got a rash on on yourself, and you're just trying to pretend that you're a Labrador. You know, why yep. not? Go maybe, for it. Maybe you've got a French bulldog. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Absolutely. Born with skin disease, you said. That's Born right. With it. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I mean, I, 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 with the Frenchies, like I've, I, you certainly see them, and I've seen a few with skin problems, but not, oh. you know, not not the number that that oh. she she was Bread saying. And butter you, in Port Melbourne, mate. That's, yeah. Uh, that's it. Yeah, there. That's. Oh, a, when I drive in, yeah, nothing's got a nose around here. <laughs> You know, it's bizarre. What's in you go through the uh, you pop the the quarantine, mate? Where you pop your nose in the bin? <laughs> when you, your dog nose in the bin when you drive in, just like the fruit at the border. <laughs> anyway, if you, if, if you if you've enjoyed the show, hit us hit us up on Patreon. Uh, we um, we really uh, thanks very much to those who have supported us on Patreon. Um, but if you if you like what we're doing, you want to you want to th- throw us a couple of bucks, um, check us out on Patreon. Yeah, absolutely, guys, and uh, check us out on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that sort of fun stuff. And uh, yeah, you know, we'll uh, send us some questions at twovetstalkpets at gmail dot com. Yep. Um, get you get some stickers. Yeah, we got all the stickers there, and on we've redone the um the logo too. Yes. Everyone's probably noticed the new logo. Yeah, we might talk up. about that next time, I reckon. I'll okay. talk about the logo. Good one, no problems. Alrighty, guys, it's time to go. We'll see you next time. Peace out, babe. Thanks for listening to Two Vets Talk Pets with Lewis and Robbie. To chat further about this week's episode or ask the guys any questions, search Two Vets Talk Pets on Facebook, Twitter, 
and Instagram, or send an email to twovetstalkpets at gmail.com. You can find Lewis on Twitter with the handle at vetbehaviorist, and more importantly, as the two pet heroes return to their day job of saving animals' lives, be sure to thank them with a five-star review on iTunes. Every time you do, a small, cute animal will receive a cuddle.